This evening we are looking at the 10th commandment, which is session number 10 in our Lifesaver series. Now, when you're looking at this commandment, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17, this is what it reads. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, in a sense, uh, this commandment sums up all the others. Okay. A pastor calls this as the linchpin of the Ten Commandments, the linchpin of the Ten Commandments. But also another pastor calls this a sin which nobody will admit to, a sin which nobody will admit to. Key uh, commandment, but a commandment which people are not really willing to admit that they have broken that commandment. Because in uh, comparison with the other commandments, the other commandments are all action commandments, if you were to say, but this is more of an attitude commandment, which nobody knows except yourself. So this is why this commandment, in a way, is dangerous because you, know, you can always say, no, I'm not committing anybody or anything. You know, Nobody else knows, only you know. But it is also an important one because, you know, God is the one who does know our hearts and can confirm whether we have broken this commandment or we are keeping this commandment, okay? So, with that as an introduction, let's look at the meaning of the word covetousness. The word covet is used in different ways in the Bible. It is sometimes used simply to mean to want very intently, to want very intently. If you notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 31, the apostle Paul writes, but covet earnestly the best gifts. The NIV translates it as eagerly desire the best gifts. And then Paul goes on in the following two chapters, he speaks about how we should seek diligently to have love in our hearts, to desire spiritual gifts, to desire spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 14, 39, he says that men should covet, desire to prophesy, to share the word. Now, so that is the good meaning, if you were to say, of covet, to desire something intently, entire, desire something in a, intentionally, to desire something for the good that can be done with that. That's the positive aspect of an uh, uh, covet. But in this 10th commandment and in many other uh, passages of scripture, the word covet is used in a totally different sense, a very negative sense. And that negative sense is to desire something unlawfully, to desire something unlawfully. It is not wrong to want good things or to work vigorously to gain them. But we have crossed the line into covetousness when we yearn for things that are off limits, unlawful, off limits. And that could include yearning for too much. It could especially include you know, yearning for things that are not intended for you 
or things that could never rightfully be yours. That is the negative aspect of uh, covetousness. Another preacher speaking on this particular uh, commandment spoke uh, with the title of his sermon as looking over the fence. Oftentimes, you remember, we have this phrase, the grass is greener on the other side. Okay, That is covetousness, looking across the fence and saying, oh, the neighbor has this, I also want that. Okay, Now, that could be in a figurative sense of a fence, but it could also be in the, uh, in the mindset of where you are thinking about what your neighbor has, and you want to have it, not just want to have it, but you want to unlawfully take it from him. The classic example, of course, in the Old Testament is about Naboth's vineyard, where Ahab wanted that vineyard, and unlawfully he took it from him by killing him. Okay, So, there's the positive side of covetousness, the good side of it, but this commandment is not speaking about the good side. This commandment is speaking about the negative side, that which belongs to your neighbor, you want it and you want to grab it from him unlawfully. <laughs> okay, So, let's look at some characteristics of coveting, coveting which is forbidden in this 10th commandment. Number one, coveting is a desire. Coveting is a desire. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of your, you know, your attitude. It's a matter of a strong emotion that you have. You see somebody else having something, you know, and you desire it very, very intently. Okay. Now, since this is based as a matter of your heart, Nobody can point a finger at you and say that you have broken this commandment because it is all in there in the heart. It is only when you, it leads to some action of wrongdoing, then you would say, okay, that guy has done wrong. He's stolen, he's murdered, he's killed, and in order to get it, you know, it can lead to that. But when it is still in the heart, nobody can notice that or say anything about it. This is where the 10th commandment now is leading us on, not just into the action aspect, but into the thought aspect, because the actions stem from what goes on in our hearts and minds. So the scripture is telling us, be careful, be careful of these wrong desires that can so grip your mind and heart. Not only is it a desire, it is a strong desire. It is a strong desire. It's a motivation so strong that the one who covets something will have it if there is any way possible to do so, even if it involves evil. It is a very consuming desire. It's a strong desire. It's a desire, yes. Now, one step further, it is a strong desire. It eats you up. Till you get it, you want to have it. That is what coveting is all about. Thirdly, it is the desire to have something, you know, which one does not have or which one does not think he or she ought in, has, uh, has enough of that. In brief, basically, coveting is saying, I'm not satisfied with what I have, I want more. God has given you plenty, but coveting is looking over the fence, looking at the grass which is greener on the other side of your neighbors and saying, hey, Look here, I want more, I want more. Not being happy with what you have. 
Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 5 tells us, He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, and he is like death, never satisfied, never satisfied. That is what covetousness is all about. Never satisfied with what you have, constantly looking at what someone else has, and also want to grab it from that. And we are living in that type of a world, isn't it? We are living in that type of a world where the whole advertising media is centered around, hey, you can have this, you can have, you don't have this, if you don't have this, then you're not you know, really climbed up the ladder of success. You must have it, whether by hook or by crook. That is why the whole element of the credit card system comes in. You don't have the money, no problem, buy it in advance and pay it later, and you get into that trap. Coveting wants more, not content with what you have. Fourthly, coveting wants not only what one does not have, but what one cannot have. Okay? Coveting wants what is forbidden, that which belongs to another, which cannot be obtained. This is where, again, the unlawful aspect comes in. Now, you may say, okay, you've seen a product, you want to have it, you have an intense desire for it, you know and you are beg borrowing and stealing for that, okay? When it comes to those wrong aspects, that is where the coveting part comes in, okay? And that which you cannot have, it is forbidden, okay? It is, for example, examples that are given is, you know, you cannot have your neighbor's wife, okay? You may be, you know, make purchase for the neighbor's animal, but the neighbor's wife you cannot have. So that which is not possible for you to have and you're still wanting that, that is where coveting leads to. And that is what you remember happened in the case of Nabot's vineyard. He said, this is my inherited property. I cannot sell this to anybody, you know. But Ahab says, I want it. And his wife, wicked queen Jezebel, made sure that he got it by killing him. <laughs> Fifthly, coveting is a deliberate desire. Okay. It is not just a casual thing, you know, it's a deliberate step-by-step -step conscious desire of which one is responsible. That is what, again, you see in the case of, you know, uh, Nabot's vineyard, isn't it? You know, Ahab wanted Jezebel, made all those specific, specific schemes, you know, to make sure that he would be prosecuted, to make sure that he would be killed, Step by step, she did it so that once Nabot dies, then the king can take over the property. It's a deliberate desire. So the individual is responsible. No one can say, look, okay, it just happened. No, no, it's not just happening. It's a planned scheming to get that which you cannot have. And only God knows. That's why this commandment is saying, hey, I'm holding you responsible. If you are coveting, something unlawfully and wanting to grab that for yourself, you know, then that is wrong. Today also you have a lot of cases of the land grab things, isn't it? All that comes under the coveting aspect. Sixthly, the coveting which the commandment pro uh, no, prohibits is a well-defined desire. It's a well-defined desire. It has to be distinguished from lust. Lust is a general desire. Greed is a lust for money and possessions, but coveting is something very, very specific. It's a focused desire. It's a desire to have a particular thing which belongs to a particular person. 
coveting, we can say, is lust well-defined and specifically focused. That is why this commandment does not just stop by saying you shall not covet. You know, it is very specific. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Very, very specific. So coveting is not a casual affair. It's a strong desire. It is also a well-defined desire. Seventhly, it is also a selfish desire. You know, it's a selfish desire because you want to gain something at the expense of another. You want to gain something at the expense of another. And this kind of covetousness is definitely very, very self-centered. You're not bothered about your neighbor. He said, I want it. What he has, I want it. That is selfishness. Number eight, coveting is a devious desire that is complex and complicated, which is often well-concealed. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Nobody knows our heart. You know it, God knows it. And the scripture is telling us here that coveting is a thing of the heart, okay, it's a thing of the heart. A lot of people have uh, uh, schemed you know, during the night thinking of what and how they can you know, covet someone else's stuff. Or whole day they are scheming, whole life some people are scheming. Their whole life is full of scheming to unlawfully get that which belongs to another person. That is how the heart is so desperately wicked. Coveting is a devious desire. And number nine, covetousness is a deified desire. Deified desire. It is idolatry. Okay. If you notice, the Ten Commandments began with the prohibition of idolatry and it ends with the prohibition of covetousness, which is idolatry. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 to 6 tells us. But do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. This verse tells us very clearly that a covetous man is an idolater, is an idolater. That is why from beginning to end, first commandment, last commandment is speaking about we must put God first. Don't have any idols, okay? No graven images. Here, nothing in the mind as well that would want to replace God. No desire which is so strong that God becomes secondary in your life. Let's move further and look at some destructive impact of covetousness. Destructive impact of covetousness. Number one. The destructive impact is that because it is an inward thing which is not easily detected. Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, Jesus said, From within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, 
deceit, lasciviousness, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. All these things come from within and defile a man. So because covetousness is inward, you know, nobody can put a stop, you know. You can make a law, you cannot covet, you know, but who decides that? Because it's an internal aspect. It's only when we have done something that led to an action, then the law comes into place. So when you have a covetous thought in your mind, no friend can say, hey, you're doing wrong, okay? No family member will confront you. No one you know, from the uh, police department, the law department is going to arrest you. But remember the truth. 1 Samuel 16, 7 tells us, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So knowing that it cannot be detected, knowing that you know, you know, it flies, if you were to say, under the radar, okay? it cannot be detected whatsoever by anybody, we have to be careful that we don't have a covetous attitude because it can destruct us because it can eat us up inside even though we don't really realize it. So that's the part, important part of the destruction. It is something that is internal. It is not easily detected. So we need to be careful. Secondly, covetousness hinders the generosity which God requires of his people. God expects us to be generous. Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 7 tells us, if there's a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns, in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor close your hand from your, pro, from your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. Beware, lest there is a base thought in your heart saying, the seventh year, the year of remission is near, and your eye is hostile toward your poor brother, and you give him nothing. Then he may cry to the Lord against you, and it will be a sin in you. You shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work, and in all your undertakings. The context of this is seventh year, you know, whatever they owed was cancelled. So here's a person who's coming, you know, just before that year, and he says, please give me something. Now you know the next year itself is going to be cancelled, so he doesn't have really time sufficient to pay back, you know, he knows that. So as a result, if he says, no, no, I'm not going to give to you because this is belonging to me, I don't want to help you in need, that is again a covetous attitude because it is hindering the giving that God wants us to do because of the fact that he has blessed us. God blesses us so that we can be generous. But a covetous mind says, hey, how can I give to somebody else? It belongs to me and I want more. So if a person who is selfish, a person who is covetous, you know, is not a generous individual and God expects us to generously give. The scripture tells us, isn't it, God loves a cheerful giver. So covetousness is the number one enemy of generosity. Number three, covetousness is destructive and dangerous because it is often the motive for offenses 
against another neighbor okay for offenses against another neighbor, uh, neighbor the man who covets the neighbor's ox is likely to steal the ox okay while coveting does not always lead to sin sin most often begins with coveting this is why the scripture always speaks about coveting as the source of many evils in Joshua chapter 7 and verse 21 we read the story of Achan where he says when i saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle first from shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold 50 shekels in weight then i coveted them and i took them and behold they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it when i saw okay i coveted and then i took this becomes the motive for the stealing number 4 covetousness of a person is also self destructive self destructive a covetous person destroys himself as well as others proverbs chapter 23 verse 17 to 21 tells us do not let your heart envy sinners but live in the fear of the lord always surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off listen my son and be wise direct your heart in the way do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat for the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags a person who thinks this is what life is all about i've got what i wanted the scripture is telling us over here he is going to end up in rags but on the other hand a person who is content with what god has given to him and is not coveting someone else's stuff he is living in the fear of god the lord is saying over here he has a future and he has a hope fifthly to covet anything more than god is to place that thing we covet above god which is idolatry which is idolatry <laughs> as we mentioned earlier coveting anything about god above god is making that thing our god it is assigning to that thing ultimate value and worth remember in matthew's gospel chapter 13 verses 44 to 46 jesus spoke about the kingdom of heaven which is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid and from joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field you know again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls and upon finding one pearl of great value he went and sold all that he had and bought it yeah the scripture is saying a person is willing to pay a high price that becomes his god as it were i want that at whatever cost i am wanting to have that again in luke's gospel chapter 12 in a verses 13 to 21 jesus spoke in a, to this individual who came up to him and said tell my brother to divide the family inheritance in a, and jesus turns around and says who appointed me a judge and an arbiter over you beware be on guard against every form of greed for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions the lord says very clearly look here life is not about possessions 
Just because you have coveted something and got it, it does not mean that you have found life. That is not life. Remember in the parable that Jesus spoke about the rich fool, you know, where he turns around and then says, I'm going to build bigger barns, I'm going to break this down, I'm going to say to my soul, eat, drink, and be merry. The Lord says, tonight your soul is required. Then what is going to happen to all this? So a person may covet the neighbor's goods, and at the end of it all, can he take anything with him, you know, when he dies? Not at all. So that becomes your God, you're living for that. That is very, very dangerous. It is going to be your destruction. Now, having said this, explain what covetousness is, explains the dangers of it because it is an internal matter. Let's look at how we can you know, be prevented from having this attitude sin in our lives. The remedy for covetousness. Number one, give Christ the supremacy in your life. Give Christ the supremacy in your life. Remember David, what was his covetousness? He saw Bathsheba and he said, he already had a wife, you know, but he says, no, I want her. And that led him into so many other sins as well. So David, who sinned with Bathsheba, began with covetousness, prayed this prayer in Psalm 51, verses 10 to 12. And this can also be prayed for us, where he prays, create in me a clean heart, O God. He's saying, Lord, this all started with the heart. My heart was impure. My heart was covetousness. So I'm praying to you, Lord, I want you to give me a clean heart, a pure heart. I want you to be in charge of my heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me, a spirit that will be constant in seeking after you, a spirit that will not go astray and set up in our covetous idols in my life, a spirit which will only worship you and you alone. Do not cast me away from thy presence. Lord, this is very important to me. Lord, I want you to be the number one person in my life. Because if I don't, if you're not the number one person, it's going to be a tragedy for me. I'm going to be cast out from your presence. Lord, I don't want that. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation and sustain me, sustain me with a willing spirit. That's a prayer that David makes you know, after this whole incident with Bathsheba. He recognized that he did wrong. He coveted her in his heart that led to all those actions. So he says, Lord, I'm sorry. I want to put you first in my life. So that's the first remedy. Ask God to constantly enable us to put him first in our lives. Also, if you notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in a, Paul in a writing, after having made the solemn point that the unrighteous shall not enter the kingdom of God, okay, and in his list of the unrighteous, he includes those who were covetous. In verse 11, this is what he says, 1 Corinthians 6, 11. And such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Regardless of how long you have been entrenched in a particular sin, covetousness or anything else, God can break those chains. So he says, such were some of you. And he's saying, Lord, I turn around. I want you to be 
the number one person in my life. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, it says, If we then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Seek those things which are above. And then later on he says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. For which things the wrath of God comes. So for covetousness, the scripture is telling us we will be punished. So, the psalmist in Psalm 51 says, Lord, please make sure that you are the number one constantly in my life. Let me never look over the fence. Let me be content with what you have given to me, and let me definitely be content with who you are. Secondly, keep things in proper perspective. Keep things in proper perspective. That passage that we just mentioned earlier, Luke chapter 12, Verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, take heed, you know, take heed, beware of covetousness. Verse 15, he says, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things he possesses. Perspective clear. 1 and 2 tells us the world is trying to squeeze us into its mold. The world is saying, hey, you know, if your neighbor has it, you don't have it, you have not made it in life, you know, you have to push yourself. If you don't have the money, somehow get it, you know. The world is trying to push us into that mindset to say that covetousness is a good thing. No, no, be careful. Keep things in the proper perspective. Just because you have amassed a lot of property, wealth, you know, whatever, you know, that does not make you the number one person. God wants to be the number one person in your life, and your relationship with Him is the most important thing. Thirdly, be content with your lot. Be content with your lot. Now, that does not mean that we should not be ambitious, that we should not strive to you know, get ahead, but at each stage of life, we must be content with what God has given to us. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, it says, let your conversation or let your lifestyle be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The scripture is telling us very clearly, you know, be content, be content, you know, because God is saying, whatever you need, I will provide. I'm your helper. So don't be worried about the future. Don't be scared about the future. Be content with what you have. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 8, it says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Godliness plus contentment is great gain. Someone has said, if you can't have what you want, then learn to want what you have. If you can't have what you want, then learn to want what you have. And that's what Paul declares in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11. I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be 
content. Fourthly, read, read God's word. Saturate your mind with the word of God. This will expose the impurity in our minds. Because remember, it starts from the mind. So fill your mind with God's word. Then this will give you an appetite for the things of God, not an appetite for the things of the world. Psalm 119 verse 33 onward says, Teach me, O God, the way of thy statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe thy law and keep it within all my heart. Make me walk in the path of thy commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to thy testimonies and not to dishonest gain. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity. Revive me in thy ways. Establish thy word to thy servant as that which produces reverence from for you. Turn my eyes away from looking at vanity. The scripture is saying, Lord, help me that my eyes, my mind, my thoughts will not be turned to that which is of no value. Eyes to that which is of true value in you. Finally, the fifth one is love others. Love others. Okay. As we seek not to focus on our selfish desires, as we seek not to convert what the neighbor has, but rather to love what the neighbor has and I love that individual, then we rejoice in that person's success. We don't envy him. We don't envy him. We rejoice in our neighbor and all that he has. Romans chapter 13 and verse 10 tells us, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. In Exodus chapter 18 and verse 21, when uh, the instructions were given, of who could be the leaders who would help Moses in judging the people, okay? One of the criteria in Exodus 18.21, this is what it says, Able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. That was a requirement that was put in many, many centuries ago. Leadership positions, be careful, you know, don't covet, okay? An individual who has that covetous desire, the Lord says, he should not be the leader. As A.W. Tozer mentioned, anybody who covets a position, don't give it to him. Okay? You know, love others. Seek the good of the other person. Don't covet that person's position or his property. Let me close with a couple of application questions this evening. Number one. Why would a person covet something else, that something that does not belong to him? And how does it lead to resentment? Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5 tells us that covetousness is idolatry. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So we have looked at this, uh, that issue this evening how covetousness is idolatry. So why does a person covet something that does not belong to him? Why is this uh, uh, in the heart of man? Why is this in a human nature? Or why is this sinful nature that seeks to covet 
that which does not belong to him. Secondly, Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 21 tells us, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, you shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, these are things that are listed over here, okay, in this commandment. Now, try and find some equivalence of that in today's setup. Now, your neighbor doesn't have any ox or donkey, isn't it? So, what will be the equivalence of these in today's setup? And what are the consequences of covetousness? What is the remedy that is mentioned in Psalm 37 and verse 4, which says, Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Instead of coveting and grabbing by a unlawful ways, put God first in your life. Number three, explain the difference between good desires and covetousness. What questions should we ask ourselves to find out whether a desire is from God or a result of discontentment with his provision? Number four, read Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, which says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Why did Adam and Eve decide to take the fruit that did not belong to them? Okay, it was good to the eye, it appealed to them. In what ways do we apply their reasons today? Why do people covet someone else's property? Why did Adam and Eve decide to eat that fruit? Number five. What are the causes for covetousness given in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12? It says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Okay. How can comparison become a form of discontentment? Why would contention influence what a person thinks in his heart, okay? When you're thinking about positions, when you're thinking about I'm better than that person and I want what that person has, the position, that is part of covetousness. Number six, Luke 4, 12, 15 says, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus wants us to beware of covetousness because life does not exist in abundant possessions. Name some ways that contentment with God's provision shows our trust in God above the possessions. And finally, number seven, what is God's promise in Psalm 84 and verse 11, which says, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield, the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who are blameless. That's the assurance. That's the promise that God gives to us. So we don't need to be coveting someone else's property. And what assurance of contentment does Hebrews 13.5 give us, which says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. The reason for contentment is what? Because God is saying to us, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. 
So instead of feeling insecure with what the neighbor has, what do you have? The Lord Jesus himself is so much greater. Be content with who you are in Christ. Let's bow our heads and pray together.